Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our interactive daily broadcast where trusted leaders bring insights and analysis to the issues from a biblical perspective. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get biblical answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. Have you ever noticed how some of the things in life that are actually priceless, the world considers as worthless? I'm going to talk about some priceless realities from the Word of God in the book of Jeremiah in just a moment, but I want to welcome you to tonight's edition of Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland, so glad you're watching, so honored to have you. And I'm going to give the number. You might want to write this number down because later on in the show, we'll open up the telephone lines, and I want to hear from you. We'll take your calls and your Bible questions. Here's the number. We would love to hear from you. It's 719-619-2341. 719-619-2341. And we would be glad to hear from you. I'm going to read a verse from Jeremiah. Then I want to share just a thought. Jeremiah 11:20. The prophet, uh, he knew what hard times were. He knew what discouragement was. And Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 11:20, "You Lord Almighty judge righteously, and you test the heart and mind. Let me see your vengeance on evildoers, for I have committed my cause to you. So we'll think about that, but listen to this amazing, amazing story that I read in Forbes magazine. There was a man, and he bought $500 worth of Bitcoin, and it went down in value. At first, he had 110,000 shares of Bitcoin, but each one was worth only fractions of a dollar. And so this $500 investment, he bought, he ordered pizza, just squandered it, you know, a little bit here, $20 there. But had he kept those 110,000 shares of Bitcoin, I looked today right before the show, Bitcoin units are trading at $29,000. Can you imagine what's 110,000 times 29,000? Millions and millions of dollars. He assumed it was worthless, when indeed Forbes magazine said it was an investment that would have proven to be nearly priceless. We've got some things hanging in the balance right now, folks. Christianity, uh, belief in God, belief in truth, belief in America, our constitutional republic. Uh, we need to defend these things, and that's what we're endeavoring to do on Truth and Liberty. Well, I'm so excited, folks. We've got a guest that you'll meet just now, and then you'll have an opportunity to call in with questions. Frank Gaffney, and I don't say this lightly, he is truly a great American. Uh, he leads the Center for Security Policy. He served our nation honorably, worked in the Reagan White House, worked in the Pentagon. He's um, really more so than any other person that I know, the voice to accurately analyze what's going on Them as a guest on this edition of Truth and Liberty. Welcome our friend and colleague, Frank Gaffney. Alex, that's uh, extraordinarily generous praise, and I appreciate it coming, especially from you. I value you well, as a friend, too. 
Thank you for being on. And plus, I've got to say this, just spirit of full disclosure, I'm envious because you have the greatest broadcast voice, Frank. Surely people have complimented you on your voice before, right? On occasion, yes, sir. Yeah, on occasion. Oh, God. Now, people it's hear as me. Much the content of it, uh, I guess, is the sound, but uh, I hope the content's good, too. Uh, well, both. They are excellent. And for those that, that may not know uh, where to find you, I want to, I know you've got a lot of websites, but give your website, where can people best find your, your work and your thought and your analysis, Frank? Well, my mothership is the Center for Security Policy, and uh, I had the privilege of founding it with a few of my friends about 35 years ago. And its website is securefreedom.org, which is the business we're in. Uh, we like to think it's what you want, and it's what we do. Mm, securefreedom.org. How at risk is our freedom, Frank? I've been involved in one aspect or another of national security policy, I guess, for, you know, the better part of, uh, well, 50 years at this point. Mm. I don't think it's ever been more dangerous than it is at the present time. Uh, and that's for a variety of reasons. Um, the overarching one is, I think that we face an enemy of unsurpassed evil, for one thing, and a potential lethal power. And uh, that would be the Chinese Communist Party, Alex. And you and I have mm -hmm. talked about it in a variety of settings over the years. I, I think that um, the American people are very poorly served at the moment because I don't think that there's been enough truth-telling about what we're up against uh, with respect to China. Uh, and when I say China, I really mean the Chinese Communist Party because I don't think that the people of China are the problem here, but uh, the communists that misrule them uh, and, and, and frankly have murdered them en masse um, are a problem for them as well as for us. Hmm. I'm not hearing Alex at the moment. Hear me now, is my audio back? Yes, it is. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, you know, what's troubling, not only are the rise of these international powers like Russia and China, but the decline in patriotism and the decline in not only appreciation for America, desire to preserve our constitutional republic, but I would say there's been just a precipitous decline in even understanding what America is. You probably saw this week the USA women's soccer team uh, at the World Cup wouldn't even stand for our national anthem. So it's, it's almost like chic to denigrate America and, uh, you know, <laughs> As, as young generations have been kind of coached to, uh, to denigrate America, I mean, we're, we're more at risk than ever. And surely the rest of the world notices this, don't you think? Well, I think they're not only noticing it, I think that to varying degrees, uh, they've abetted it. Uh, they have, uh, specifically the Chinese communists, again, have been perpetuating um, through a variety of channels, this idea that um, America is a deplorable nation 
um, and that their system is far to be preferred. And I think the extent to which that has been inculcated in, as you say, uh, especially young people in this country, um, it, it's not an accident. That is a deliberate purpose of the kind of cultural Marxism that has been insinuated into particularly our academic institutions for, well, many decades now, going back, right. I guess, to the 1930s with the Frankfurt School at but Columbia University, but with great vigor and uh, I think great effect, particularly from the 1960s on. So um, are the Chinese communists and, and the Russians and the Iranians and Venezuelans and North Koreans and others all observing this and emboldened by it? You bet they are. But I think mm. they're also um, encouraging it in a variety of ways as well. And it's the combination of the two. You're right. It's it's those external threats and it's those foreign uh, enemies or certainly friends of the Chinese Communist Party and others that uh, make this a very fraught moment indeed. Sure. Uh, if you would, Frank, I want, I want you to bring us up to speed and, and let viewers really get educated on some of the things at play here. You mentioned the Frankfurt School. Give, give us the backstory on that, the context and what that is, and really how the um, lingering impact of that is, is present even to this day. Well, this is a, a school that came from Frankfurt, Germany, uh, in the run-up to uh, Adolf Hitler's, you know, uh, clampdown on communists and uh, Jews, uh, they came to uh, the Columbia Teachers College and essentially set up a communist cell there. And they developed some of the strategies that ultimately were used to move um, through the academic community in the first order, um, starting in the mid-1930s and then inexorably building over time. But they adopted a strategy they called the March Through the Institutions that essentially took this Marxist strategy of dividing and conquering through every aspect of our society. Uh, it, it may have begun in the schools, but it didn't end there by any means. And what we've, uh, I think, been left with over time, as they fully understood, is generations that are coming along, um, some of them even baby boomers of my generation, but certainly mm. uh, younger folks, who have now been systematically inculcated with, uh, well, at best, a lack of patriotism, as you put it. But I think at worst, a, a kind of um, rejection of our country. And it's one of the things that I, I have come to conclude is so needed in this country uh, are what I call foreign-born American patriots. Mm -hmm. We're talking about foreign-born adversaries, but foreign-born American patriots are people who've come to this country uh, because they love freedom and yeah. generally have come from places where they've been not denied it. And they're such an important antidote to this, um, well, at best, this taking for granted what freedom is like uh, and kind of indifference to it and, and, and a sense that it'll always be the way it is. At best and at worst, this hostility 
this uh, admiration for enemies of freedom that is all too common. But when you put somebody from Vietnam, for example, or from communist China, or from Russia, or from Venezuela, and you put them in the company of people who take for granted what we've got here, um, they generally are pretty, uh, well, it's tough love, shall we say. They're letting people know that uh, this is an exceedingly blessed place and it's freedom is perishable. Uh, They've lived without it. They know what it's like. They've come here to enjoy it and to ensure that uh, they can pass it on to their kids. And too few of us have any idea what they've gone through, let alone the importance of their message. So I'm for getting Mm -hmm. more of that around. Well, amen. Amen. And and that's what we're all about um, here with Truth and Liberty as well. Folks, if you're just tuning in, our very special guest tonight, Frank Gaffney, uh, securefreedom.org is a website that I would strongly urge you to visit. And we're going to take questions here in just a few moments. Uh, your, your questions about government policy, what's going on in the world, China. Tonight, we're very blessed to have some time with Frank Gaffney, and I urge you to call in with your questions. The number is 719-619-2341. Let me ask you this, and this this question might sound hopelessly naive, but Frank, why did the Democrat Party uh, become so uh, you know, steeped in socialism, Marxism, a hundred years ago, could it have been either way? Um, could it have been the Republicans that wound up so anti-constitutional? Um, it, it really is the Democrat Party. Um, why did the Democrats fall to these socialist ideas rather than the Republicans? And how much can we count on the Republican Party? to stay constitutional and true to America's principles? Well, those are hugely important questions. Uh, You know, as a young man, I had the privilege of working for a very distinguished Democratic United States senator by the name of Henry Scoop Jackson. Mm. Wow. And I think often of the high RPMs he's spinning in his grave as he looks down on this Democratic Party of his, it's unrecognizable. But, you know, Scoop Jackson was among those Democrats who was repudiated by the uh, class of 94, which was really the first inroad that uh, the, excuse me, of 74, 1974, uh, the first inroads that um, I think were made by the people who in the late 1960s were you know cutting their teeth on college campuses and engaged in you know the moratorium about the war and mobilization against it and the like and suddenly they were you know in congress in significant numbers and uh many of them um were i think pretty young and and pretty immature but um they had um drunk the Kool-Aid of uh what was then called liberalism, but uh it, it really was the leading edge of I think a very radical um progressive is is a a misdirection, I think, a socialist at best, communist at worst. And right. over time, um I think they simply took over 
the Democratic Party. Uh, they organized uh, community organizers like Alinsky taught them how to do it. Sure. Uh, they got into power people like Bill Clinton and uh, then Barack Obama. And uh, I think we're in the third term of the Obama Biden presidency at the moment. So they're well established right. and they, you know, have their hold on not only the Democratic Party as a sort of machine, but of course, uh, the federal bureaucracy, uh, large numbers of members of Congress and uh, and Senate, and I, I think uh, the base of the party as well. I, I think there are still some scoop Jackson Democrats out there, but I think most of them mm -hmm. are now Republicans. And to your question about whether Republicans could have, uh, you know, gone sideways, I, I suppose, but I think to the extent that their roots were in this constitutional republic and, um, you know, love of our country and the freedoms that it guarantees and all that, uh, they were probably more resilient against it. But look, I, there are people that are described as Republicans in name only who, right, right. you know, make common cause with uh, people on the pretty far left uh, with frequency. And it erodes uh, the ability of the Republicans to hold the line. Sure. You know, isn't it ironic, Frank, that many of the people that are anti-capitalist are those that have benefited from capitalism? I mean, I, I've dialogued with wealthy, affluent, entrepreneurial Americans that are leaning towards socialism. And, and I've often said, you do know that uh, your political orientations are absolutely counter to what has made your family successful and wealthy and at liberty to freely engage in commerce. Have you ever noted that irony, Frank, that the anti-capitalists, well, it's, it's the, the immigrants that have come here penniless, worked hard and built something. They love America more than the natural born Americans that have so uh, strongly benefited from America. Have you ever, that's an yeah. irony, isn't it? Oh, I have. I have. Yes, indeed. And that's it's part of what I was just talking about in that foreign-born American patriot thing. Um, look, in, in my experience, there are some people who have benefited enormously from a free market capitalist system and who have nonetheless uh, found it expedient or convenient or socially preferable to be on the left. Um, mm -hmm. Mostly, I find it's the second generation of people who benefited yeah. from the capitalist system, <laughs> who indulge in that. Uh, my grandfather used to have an expression, I'm living proof of it, that, you know, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Uh, that second one can squander the money in their indulgence and uh, narcissism and um, leftist ideology. And by the time the next generation comes along, they may be penniless and back to, mm. you know, having to work hard to uh, make ends meet. But that may turn into, you know, another cohort of people who uh, resent the American system because they don't have the money that they thought they were entitled to. So it's, it's a challenging business. And, and to some extent, I think the thing that is so uh, important about um, the best in the Republican Party and uh, the people who, you know, subscribe to it is this sense of personal responsibility. Yes. You're not entitled to anything. Uh, you you are in a land of opportunity, but it is up to you to make something of yourself, for your family, for you know your community, what have you. And uh, 
you know, with God's blessing, uh, an awful lot of us have been able to do that and uh, to create the greatest country in the world, unquestionably. Mm-hmm. But um, there are those, and I personally believe that uh, the devil's hand is at work in a lot of this, um, who are determined to tear it down. And we confront them internally, as well as an array of hostile powers that make this, as I said, uh, a very dangerous time indeed. Mm. Uh, You know, you mentioned entitlement, that mentality that the world owes me something, the government owes me something. Uh, It's almost like two sides of of the same coin. One side is entitlement and the other side is ingratitude. Have you ever noticed how some of the, the, the people that are the the most entitled are the least grateful for for much of anything. Yeah. Look, I, I think some of this is just a, a peculiarity of human nature. You know, I, I'm often observing that uh, people who seem to be so self confident are often the most insecure. Um, yeah. People who are uh, most aggressive are oftentimes the most fearful. You know, so I mean, some of that is just um, compensation, maybe I guess, um, or overcompensation, as the case may be. But it it's uh, it's certainly true that if you are betting your country on those who feel that they're entitled to free stuff, as the expression goes, um, you're going to lose the country because there are people who are going to work to take it away from you. Sure, sure. Uh, Let's talk about, well, you know, by the way, um, I'm reminded of that quote. Uh, It's often attributed to Edmund Burke, but he said, that which we obtain too easily, we esteem too lightly. And uh, we're so blessed and we live an opulent life that people of any other era or generation would look at with awe and envy. And I, I think well, we and, very and people easily... all over this world as well. Oh, yeah, in our time, exactly. You, you know, which helps um, explain in part why they're coming here in such large numbers. Exactly, exactly. I mean, uh, and like you say, uh, going from shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves, it 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 wouldn't be hard for us to be knocked backward to just abject poverty and indigence. And then we'd realize that what we had was was pretty good and and would have been worth fighting for. Um, yes. So let's talk about China. And Frank, I don't I don't know an elegant way to ask this question, so I'm going to lay it out there. Are there people in our government today that are on the Chinese Communist payroll? Yes. Look, uh, uh, it, the book the book was written on the subject uh, is entitled The Indictment, and its subtitle, as you know, Alex, we've talked about it on a number of occasions, is Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America, China, and the World. And the Friends piece of this is, it's hard to overstate the significance of it. And, and some of them are the people that we've just been talking about. They're, they're people yeah. who hate our country or people who take it for granted or people who would prefer uh, to live under, they think, uh, a communist system of some kind, who are working with uh, enemies of this country, like the Chinese Communist Party, and most especially. And the object of the exercise is taking the country down, I'm sorry to say. And I think we don't appreciate the degree to which, in key leadership roles in the financial sector, in business more generally, uh, 
in the media, in Hollywood, in academia, in you know sports. Uh, name name a, a an important part of our society. We have captured elites, as the Chinese communists like to call them, people who are in most cases probably getting paid. Yes, uh, in some cases maybe it's uh, you know sexual entrapment or maybe it's you know ideological affinity. But whatever mm. the motivation is, they're not playing for our team. And to right. think that one of them, the poster boy of them all, I think at the present time, at least, is the president of the United States, is a shocking, shocking thing. Mm. Yeah, uh, I'll I tell you the word that I hear uh, that you don't really see much anymore is the word treason. I mean, in previous generations, selling secrets and classified information being uh, compromised and uh, business deals with communist operatives. I mean, uh, why isn't anybody crying treason, Frank? Yeah. Well, I am among them who is doing it. I think the point yeah. is, uh, to some extent at least, Alex, for the reasons we've been talking about. When you have a society that is at least divided between people who see no problem with that kind of behavior and people who do, uh, it's hard to get, you know, the kind of national response that under any other circumstance, I think, certainly any other generation would have resulted in, you know, people being put probably between before firing squads. Mm. Uh, the book, The Indictment, which folks, uh, Frank Gaffney is the author, The Indictment, I urge you to read this book. It will put a fire in your belly and you'll be equipped and informed. Tell us where we can find this book, Frank. I'm happy to say, I think it's basically wherever books are sold. Um, yeah. Obviously, places like Amazon and Barnes and Noble online. We also have a website, theindictmentbook.com. But um, I think your local bookstores probably have it too. Sure. What's been the reaction of people that have read it? Uh, pro, pro and if any con, but what's been the reaction? You know, I'm I'm not aware of any con, to be honest with you. I think the reaction mm. has been overwhelmingly positive. It's it's a it's a small sample, but uh, I think the last time I checked, there were 65, I think, five-star reviews at Amazon for it. It was a national uh, number one bestseller in the national and uh, international security category. So it's been well-received, I think. And mostly, I suspect that's because the content um, is drawn from a lot of these webinars that we've been doing that are available for free to your audience and others at presentdangerchina.org, another important uh, online resource for your, your audience. Mm -hmm. And th that content um, helps connect a lot of dots that need to be connected. And I think people are responding accordingly. You know, um, I'm, I'm old enough. I remember uh, when Reagan was elected the first time and then reelected. The first election I was ever old enough to vote in would, would have been in 84, and Reagan won re-election uh, handily. And there was... You know, overwhelmingly. I'll never forget uh, the returns were coming in and Republicans had taken races all across the country. And uh, I was watching, I think it was CBS, and uh, Dan Rather said that this was in 84, quote, a fairy tale election for Republicans. And I, I remember believing that the impact of that would last for 100 years. Um, 
but it, it it abated rather quickly, didn't it? It did. In two short years, as I recall, he lost, I think, the house, and uh, yeah. it was it was uh, tough sledding for those last two years of his presidency. But the truth of the matter is, we look back on that period as uh, a high watermark for our republic. Sure. And uh, I think all of us uh, have a certain nostalgia for the man who made it possible, but also for the country we were at the time yeah. and that we need to get back to if we're to survive. Uh, we've got to take a brief break. Folks, uh, this is Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here with Frank Gaffney, the Center for Securing Freedom. Center, uh, securefreedom.org is his website. Hey, the number 719-619-2341. We'll be back with your phone calls and more after this. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. You were created with a purpose, written in the heart of God, long before you were born. He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love, to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we have big plans to make a big impact. If you want to be a part of turning our nation back to God, I want to invite you to become a supporter of Truth and Liberty. You can go on our website at truthandliberty.net to the donate page and make a gift there. And you can also sign up to be uh, make a recurring automatic gift of $5 or more per month, and then you'll become a Truth and Liberty member. And uh, our gifts to Truth and Liberty are not tax deductible, but I promise you, God sees your generosity. So go to Truth and Liberty and become a member today. Welcome back to the program. Alex McFarland here along with Frank Gaffney. Hey, by the way, folks, Truth and Liberty, uh, on the website, truthandliberty.net, there's a lot of content, articles written by attorney and commentator Richard Harris, myself. And so uh, go to truthandliberty.net slash subscribe. Uh, emails go out and there's content to help equip you and encourage you to stand strong for God and country. And then also, let me say, Truth and liberty.net slash subscribe. Uh, it's free, no strings attached. However, we're able to do what we're doing and talk to countless numbers of people, hopefully inspire, empower, mobilize, equip people through your support. And if you would go to truthandliberty.net slash donate, uh, a gift of, of even $5 a month, a recurring gift. Look, there are strength in numbers. And, and consider standing with us. Uh, these broadcasts, the content we create, I'm on the road speaking somewhere just about every weekend. And in fact, you, you'll appreciate this, viewers. When I leave here tonight after we finish the program, I'm driving two hours to our sixth of seven youth camps. By the, the end of August, we will have been in front of 1,250 teenagers this, this summer. And folks, you're going to love this. Uh, roughly 150, 200 kids every camp that we do. And I have the 
the, the kids. We talk about God and country. We talk about the things that Frank and I are discussing tonight. And I have these kids chant, we are the generation who will restore America. Can you imagine, don't, don't you know the liberals would just about uh, lose their mind to see middle schoolers, high schoolers. First of all, they're being taught about God and Christianity, but then we teach them about patriotism and loving America. And it, it always gratifies me, folks, when I have kids by the dozens come up every weekend and they'll, they'll say, Mr. McFarland, I had no idea. America is a great country. I need to care about America. It still is the land of opportunity. So folks, thanks. Tell your friends about Truth and Liberty. Consider supporting. And yes, with God's help and for God's glory, we are together going to raise up the generations that will restore America. Uh, the number is 719-619-2341. If you've got a call tonight, 719 619 Two, three, four, one. Frank, before we go to calls, if you would again give your website, and uh, I want you to conclude that thought that we started before the break. We were talking about the people that sort of turned on America, but uh, give your website again, if you would, my friend. Sure. Um, the one I most urgently recommend you address is uh, securing. Uh, sorry, securefreedom.org. I, I, as I said, uh, I've got a couple of others that uh, come to mind as well. Securingamerica.tv is uh, our television and radio program, and presentdangerchina.org is where you mm. can find this incredible array of uh, webinars about China that uh, are, are very, very informative. Presentdangerchina.org. Now, what, what all is at that website, Frank? Well, the Committee on the Present Danger uh, was an organization that I might just take a minute to talk a little bit about. Um, it was kind Please. of a pickup team in the 1970s, uh, shortly after that period that I was speaking about as uh, the Democrats were lurching left. Um, a guy by the name of Jimmy Carter was elected in 1976. Um, mm. He, I think, um, continued a program towards what Ronald Reagan, I think, rightly described as the existential threat to freedom mm -hmm. of that era, namely the Soviet Union. And uh, Ronald Reagan was a member of this group called the Committee on the Present Danger. And he went to them and he said, look, I need a, I need a strategy for a different approach to the Soviets than the appeasement that uh, Carter and before that Gerald Ford and before that Richard Nixon uh, under Henry Kissinger's influence had all engaged in. He said, I, I'm not interested in appeasement, but I'm also not interested in even containment. I want to roll back the evil empire. And they came up with a plan for doing that. And uh, he went to the American people. And he asked for their mandate to make a very important course correction vis-a-vis -vis the you know, enemy of our time at that moment. Mm. And uh, he got it. And uh, it was a mandate. And he brought in about 30 members from that committee to help him execute that strategy they did. And the rest, as they say, is history, which brings me to the present moment. Um, we tried to replicate that committee with the addition of it being the Committee on the Present Danger China to deal with our time's existential threat to freedom, which frankly makes the other one pale by comparison. And we're hopeful 
um, Alex, with this book and with a kind of campaign built upon it, of being able to get whoever's going to lead our country in the next election cycle to ask the American people for a similar kind of mandate, for a similar kind of course correction, which is, if, if anything, even more urgently needed. And so mm -hmm. in the book, we not only have a pretty compelling, I think, explanation of what the problem is that we face from the Chinese Communist Party, their war crimes against us, mm -hmm. as well as their crimes against humanity, but also 20 specific things we need to do to try to get uh, this problem under control to defeat the Chinese Communist Party and to save our country. And mm -hmm. with the help of this committee on the present danger, China, whose webinars about these various uh, lines of attack the Chinese have been engaged in against us for decades, and the enemies inside our country who are enabling them to do it with uh, great effect, um, and what we can do about it. All of that is uh, content that's available for free there at presentdangerchina.org. Indeed, indeed. Well, we're going to go to our first caller. Uh, we're going to go to South Carolina. Linda in South Carolina, thanks for holding. Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you. Very interesting show. I live in a highly popular tourist destination in South Carolina. And several years ago, we had a mayor who openly courted Chinese real estate investors and consequently ended up purchasing many of our golf courses and other properties around our town. So I'm very concerned about Chinese, the Chinese getting into our country through real estate purchases, not just here, but I know it's happening all over the country. And also through us purchasing all of these things that are made in China. I try to notice when I'm buying things, if it says made in China, and if I can find an alternative, I don't buy it. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on China, <clears throat> excuse me, getting into our country through these means. Great questions. Great. Linda, thank you. Frank, uh, what, what do you say? It is a great question, and it's one that I think is on top of minds for a lot of Americans because it's it's not just happening in beautiful spots in South Carolina. It's happening all over the country, and not just golf courses. It's, uh, it's all kinds of other um, property, farmland, um, food processing facilities, um, manufacturing entities. Uh, in Michigan, the governor up there is uh, giving $700 million to a Chinese Communist Party-controlled lithium battery manufacturing plant uh, that they're going to put up in and almost certainly despoil an absolutely pristine part of uh, that great state of Michigan. Uh, and in many of these cases, folks, by the way, the property that's being bought up is in close proximity to some pretty sensitive military facilities, uh, strategic mm -hmm. assets of other kinds. And so um, you put that together with uh, the fact that some people are simply buying American citizenship. You know, you can get a green card and then get to citizenship uh, by just making uh, a sizable enough investment in this country. Uh, so whether it's property or whether it's uh, buying uh, a vote or whether it's for other purposes, you know, one of the really scary things we've just tumbled upon in the past two weeks or so um, is news about um, what sure looks like a biological warfare laboratory 
in a little city in the middle of California, uh, Reedley. And um, the question is, what on earth was that up to? Um, it uh, it may not have, in fact, been a biological warfare laboratory when it was discovered, but it had the potential to manufacture deadly biological agents and uh, and perhaps other chemicals. And that's the thing that I think we also have to be mindful of. What are they doing here? That's just what yeah. are they buying? But what is their presence translating into in terms of uh, potential capabilities to attack us from within? Mm, mm, mm. My goodness. Uh, Linda, um, I, let me encourage you to read Frank's book, The Indictment. And uh, thank you so much for calling in. And uh, folks, we're talking with Frank Gaffney, if you're just tuning in, the securefreedom.org Center for National Security. Frank Gaffney is our guest tonight. The number, if you've got a question, it's 719-619-2341-719-619-2341. Frank in Missouri. Frank, uh, thanks for holding. Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Yeah, my question is, thank you for uh, receiving me. Were the voting machines uh, made and rigged by China? Uh, that, mm. That's one question. I guess I only get one question. But anyways, bless you guys. I, I, I'm thankful for the uh, for the truth to be able to, oh. to, to, yeah, to, to have the privilege of still being able to voice yourself in America is a, is a great big privilege. So I praise God for that. Amen. Yeah. Amen. amen. Frank, I was going to ask you, um, and let's get to Frank's question first, but voting machines and the honest tabulation of the elections, that is a subject that I wanted to broach with you. So speak to, speak to this, Frank, what do you know about the voting machines? Well, there's different stories out there. And it's, I think, probably the case that there are different machines that have various uh, answers to the question. Um, my best understanding, and it's uh, mostly second and third hand from people I trust, is that the Chinese Communist Party did have its access to voting machines in America. Um, and whether that was through software and backdoors or whether that was through uh, data that was being routed through uh, Chinese servers or whether it was through, um, in particular, information about those managing voting uh, processes and places, um, the combined effect plus the most important single means of interfering with the election by far, namely the biological warfare attack that they launched against us, mm -hmm. which created, as you know, Alex, all kinds of opportunities for arrangements, you know, for example, universal mail-in ballots, uh, which Hi. that guy that I was talking about earlier, Jimmy Carter, yeah. Long after he left the presidency back in 2005, as I recall, with former uh, George W. Bush and George H.W. Bush uh, official James Baker, Democrat mm -hmm. and Republican, came together and said, mail-in balloting is a surefire means of inviting fraud. Don't do yeah. it. So, yeah. you know, whether it was the the actual voting machines, the tabulating machines, uh, the data, uh, the voter rolls, uh, the registration, 
for this balloting business. Um, I think the Chinese were all over our elections and they accomplished what they wanted to do, which most mm -hmm. urgently was to remove Donald Trump from the presidency. So right. I think the proof there is in, as they say, the eating of the pudding. Well, and, you know, here in my home state of North Carolina, there has been an absolute street fight over uh, those that want to uh, make it the law where you show an ID. Uh, and of course, as I'm sure you know, those of us that say, look, uh, you have to show an ID to get a prescription. Uh, it's, it's not wrong to show an That's ID. To, yeah. To vote, and and of course, those of us that believe in voter ID laws, uh, we're called racists, and we want to obstruct the rights of people. Um, uh, talk about that. I mean, how many places around the country uh, do you have to show a valid ID in order to vote? And and is there a push to try to keep our elections honest and clean? You know, I don't know the answer to the number of states that now uh, require uh, voter ID, but uh, there's quite a number of them. And and the thing that's interesting is this is a no-brainer for the American yeah. people. I, I, that polls fairly consistently think have it 80-20. Uh, of course mm -hmm. you want voter ID because if people vote who are not entitled to vote, <clears throat> it's not just that they're casting a ballot they should not have. They're negating your vote. They're yeah. canceling out a vote you rightfully have the uh, the duty, in fact, to, I think, vote. Uh, and so uh, my guess is that the fight is now mostly over. Um, will that means of trying to protect the integrity of elections be available or not? And the insistence of, I think, overwhelmingly Democrats to preclude voter ID is, I think, evidence that they have maligned intent with respect to uh, election integrity. And I, I, I pray that the American people will, in the end, uh, prevail in, in this regard and, and frankly, with uh, a return to paper ballots, because I don't trust any of these machines myself. And I think unless and until we get back to that kind of uh, really basic voting process, uh, you are unlikely to assure the kind of integrity that we need to uh, avoid the kind of fraud that I believe has prevented us from having free and fair elections now in several of the recent runnings. Well, and while we're talking about voting protocols, uh, let me just lay something out there that, uh, that I never have liked, and that's early voting. And, and, you know, I've watched, at least in my home state of North Carolina, early voting has just grown and grown and grown to just uh, being so long. And again, it seems to open the door for fraud. Uh, what, what's your take on early voting, Frank? No, I'm with you. I, I think election day is the day that, you know, I think we should have the balloting, have the ballots counted and announce the determination of the outcome. Uh, and everything that extends that, whether it's early voting or whether it's uh, keeping the voting open or whether it's keeping the counting open, as you say, Alex, uh, just lends itself to uh, fraudulent outcomes. And most especially worrying is a loss of confidence of the American people in the fundamental um, 
you know, trustworthiness of this process. And right. if that goes over the side, then, you know, the whole social compact, really, the, the confidence in the country, uh, I think, is sharply eroded. How, how confident are you that the 2024 election cycle will be honestly tabulated? I'm not confident at all, <clears throat> to be frank. I, I think that the concern I have is that having seen the various ways in which votes have been, uh, shall we say, manipulated yeah. or simply fraudulently, you know, violated. Most of those have not been fixed in most of the places mm. around the country. In some, I think a few places they have, but mostly not. And sadly, that's in part a function of Republicans in control in sure, some of these places, sure. resisting the need for changes and improvements. I, I, I want to say I think Carrie Lake is doing a remarkable public service by really carrying yeah. on uh, her, not only her fight in Arizona, but taking this fight elsewhere around the country for the kind of return to uh, the, the mechanics that uh, will allow people to have confidence once again in these elections. And I, I think she's getting some traction in some places, and I hope it will be sufficient to uh, overcome at best the inertia and at worst the active opposition of people, whether they're Democrats or they're Republicans, who are in a position to do something about it and are refusing to do so. What would you like to see people do? And by the way, folks, we're talking with Frank Gaffney, securefreedom.org. The number, if you've got a question for Frank, and this is a prime night to get political insights that, that every American needs to hear, 719-619-2341. What, what would you like to see uh, just average Americans do that are willing to volunteer and, and, and to really get involved? Um, give us some homework assignments, Professor. <laughs> well, let me give you a very immediate and sort of microcosmic example of a challenge that we face. And uh, again, we've had conversations about this in the past, Alex, and I know it's on your heart as it is mine. This practice of cultural Marxism that I mentioned in response to your first question about you know, what, what's being done inside our country that is doing such harm to us? Well, it's, it's this practice that has been cultivated for two centuries now, basically, by Marxists of various stripes. And that is uh, the old divide and conquer techniques to turn people against one another uh, in, you know, Marx's classic approach, it was using class warfare to yeah. set the, the, you know, the proletariat against the bourgeoisie and so on. In our country, they've used race. And, you know, many of us, I think, voted, uh, I, I did not, to be honest, but many others did vote for Barack Obama yeah. in the profound yeah. hope that that would mark the absolute end of a sorry chapter in our history. We'd made a lot of progress up to that point, but this this would be, you know, the end of it. And sure. sadly, we turned power over to a cultural Marxist who used race as a means of dividing us. And 
it's gotten worse in his second term. It's gotten still worse in his third term, which is where I think we are at the moment. That's true. And that problem um, is now working its way. I talked about the march through the institutions earlier on. It's now worked its way through to really the last institution standing. And that's the United States military. And what we're seeing now, Alex, is I'm afraid a concerted effort by the Biden or Obama-Biden administration 3.0 to finish the job of fundamentally transforming the military with the as the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the top mm. military officer in the country of a general by the name of C.Q. Brown who happens to have become, he was early in his career, I guess, an accomplished combat uh, fighter pilot. Pilot. But in his uh, most recent appointments, now as the chief of staff of the United States Air Force, he has been a zealous champion of what they call the woke ideological transformation. I call it the cultural Marxist transformation of the military. And so my my urgent appeal to people, if they want to do something, I urge you to go to rejectgeneralbrown.org. Mm. And you can, with a click of a mouse, get directly to your two United States senators and urge them when they come back into session in mid-September to vote against General C.Q. Brown to be the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You know, in our book, we talk about the unrestricted warfare against our country. I'm concerned, Alex, that we are now at the cusp of the Chinese Communist Party being so emboldened by the state of our country, by the divisions that they've helped cultivate, by the well, the controlled asset that is the president of the United States, uh, the mm. state of our military, not least, including especially the United States Air Force, that they may actually be ready to go to a shooting war with us next. And God help us. On if this cast of characters, well, I feel that that's almost certainly the case. You talk about that biological warfare laboratory. It wasn't in Canada. It wasn't in, you know, Singapore. It was 40 miles from one of our key naval air stations, which if attacked with biological weapons would have almost certainly wiped out our carrier battle group's air wings in a future conflict with China. So, yes, and, and then there's the concern about uh, people, as we talked about with Linda, the buying up land here, the 300 plus thousand Chinese students all of whom are here with the permission of the Chinese Communist Party, all of whom know that they must do their duty to the motherland if asked to. And then, get this, by, I think, conservative estimates, there's some 10,000 military-aged, unaccompanied young men wearing similar, if not identical, backpacks and canteens and moving in units of about 100, believed by thoughtful observers to be members of the People's Liberation Army who have been coming across our southern border in recent months. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So you ask, is there a chance that we could have war on our own land with the Chinese Communist Party if they decide to take Taiwan or do something else in the Pacific? I fear the answer is almost certainly yes. And, and folks, let me just say, uh, last fall I was uh, doing a speaking tour through a number of Texas towns. I was in Corpus Christi. I was in Gonzales, Texas. I was in half a dozen towns near the border. Frank, I've, I've not told you this. You and I haven't discussed this before. But um, a couple of my speaking engagements were well publicized. I had mayors and sheriffs and law enforcement officers come to me almost like pleading. And they, they told me story after story of people coming into Texas through the southern border, um, some of whom were arrested for having committed crimes. And they learned uh, some of these people, uh, well, some had like no identity. Uh, some had a rap sheet. Some were trained in terrorist camps in China coming in through the southern border. So, uh, listen, I, I have firsthand accounts, not second or third hand, but from law enforcement officials that, Frank, I can only describe as being um, deeply, deeply concerned, almost frightened, story in, in a, a month of speaking through border towns, I probably heard a hundred stories of people, not just, not just uh, you know, dream seekers, but operatives coming in through the southern border, uh, the border that this administration, folks, as you know, will not secure and has actually fought to keep open. Frank, we've got a let, brief Let me break. just ask you, are you talking about Chinese nationals in those cases? Yes. Those hundreds? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, coming through case. the southern border. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, another thing that, that was told by two different officials, um, cars coming down with out-of-state plates like Illinois and Indiana, people coming in, clearly um, people crossing the border and then being driven up into the interior of America in cars. Folks, we've got a break. Stay tuned. More questions with our guest, Frank Gaffney, on Truth and Liberty. Don't go away. This is a godly nation. It was founded upon godly principles. God is calling us to rebuild His house so that He can manifest His glory in the midst of a corrupt and pagan world. I would argue that America has been more prosperous, more successful than any other nation because we've done more in reading and applying the Bible. It is the history for Christians to speak out and to make a difference in this nation. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. The moment you believe your healing is done and it's just a matter of time until whatever the symptoms are, are gone. You observe what Jesus did and try in your mind and say, I'm making a judgment that Jesus paid the price for me. We focus on what the doctors can do for us more than what God can do for us. Say, God is my healer, not the doctor. 
Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here along with our very special guest, Frank Gaffney of SecureFreedom.org. I urge you to read his book, The Indictment. You can find it everywhere. And by the way, folks, tell your friends about Truth and Liberty. Over the next few months, we've got incredible guests on deck and confirming more every day because, look, we're in it to win it. We care about this nation, and we want you to be informed and equipped. And I believe God is using Truth and Liberty to help raise up just masses of people that are informed and confident to know truth and to influence others. So uh, share the website, truthandliberty.net, if you would. By the way, the number, if you've got a question for our very special guest, Frank Gaffney, the number is 719-619-2341. We're going to go to Veronica in my home state, the old North State, North Carolina. Veronica, thanks for holding and welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, Yes, And hi, Frank. I'm so glad you joined tonight. Um, I was wondering, when I'm talking to my secular friends, the the reasons that, well, when we discuss China and, and our policy with them, I would love to be able to succinctly break down the difference between Trump's policy and how he dealt with China and the Biden administration and how they're being handled by China. Well, uh, there are a lot of differences, I think. Uh, The most fundamental of them is, I think Trump, long before he became president, was deeply concerned that the whole idea that um, uh, has animated American policy uh, for, well, most of the period since Richard Nixon opened relations with the Chinese, uh, namely that if we just tried to normalize relations with them, if we uh, open trade, if we transfer technology, if we sent them money, trillions of dollars even, if, if we in short made them richer and more powerful, um, they would be, well, more like us. They'd be a member in good standing of the international community. They'd want what we want, which is stability and quiet and uh, be a force for good. I don't think there was really ever any evidence of that. Uh, There Mm -hmm. may have been some deceptive things that they said to us along the way, but uh, anybody with a lick of sense, I think, would have known that wasn't true. And Donald Trump, I think, was deeply skeptical of that. So basically, what has flowed from that policy is what you're seeing on display with the Biden administration as we speak. Uh, He's sending his various cabinet officers over to China to, you know, well, kowtow is the Chinese term for it, to bow and scrape and otherwise uh, try to ingratiate themselves with people who have nothing but contempt for them Mm. and who frankly see them as uh, the vehicles for achieving their ultimate agenda, which is our destruction. Donald Trump, I think, uh, tried to pull back from all of that. I think he tried through tariffs, notably, uh, through you know, uh, resisting uh, some of the things that uh, they were trying to uh, get away with, uh, including notably this whole idea that they're going to be a force for good on climate change. Uh, Trump was deeply skeptical of that. Um, But mostly what he was doing was he was opposing for the first time in decades uh, for an American president, 
the agenda of the Chinese Communist Party on the one hand and the agenda of their friends here who just wanted to do more business with them, make more money personally, and frankly, the devil take the hindmost with the country. Mm. Wow. That is, that is a great question. Frank, there's a video that uh, is floating around, a little short video of Donald Trump on the Oprah Winfrey show back in the early, early 90s. And it's it was just prescient how he was saying that in the future, what a great threat China China was and, and would be. And uh, I, I've got some questions. I want your take on Donald Trump. But Veronica, thank you. Do, do you have any follow-up for, for Frank? before we go to the next call? Uh, no, that, that pretty much sums it up perfectly. I Also, them being a developing nation and having that status, and I, but what drives me crazy is Biden just reversing almost every good thing that we did with foreign policy. And if, if there's a change in administration this time, can we easily go back to these old policies? Mm. That's a good question. Well, that's a good question, and and uh, it, it will depend uh, in part, obviously, whether in the intervening period, as I'm very concerned, uh, the Chinese go to war, mm. the old-fashioned kind of war, that is. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, everything's in a different uh, state in that circumstance, including our own country, I fear. But it, mm -hmm. it, setting that aside... Uh, um, I, I think that it will be a challenge because, in particular, in this period of time of the Biden Biden presidency, Obama Biden mm -hmm. 3.0, if you will, um, mm -hmm. he has done so much to intensify the damage that has been done to our country. Uh, look at the Afghan situation, for example. Mm -hmm. Look at the supply chain dependencies. I mean, not only has he not weaned us really off of any of the existing ones, but he's now creating new ones with what he's doing to our energy sector in terms of making us more dependent upon them for green energy and, you know, depriving us of our own. I mean, these are the sorts of things that um, can be undone, I suspect, to some extent, at least over time, if we have the time. But uh, it will be harder as a result of having dug ourselves even more deeply into the hole that we've been in. Mm. Uh, Veronica, thank you. We're going to go to Texas and speak with Valerie now. Valerie, thanks for holding. Welcome. You're on Truth and Liberty. Um, hello. Good to talk yeah. to you guys. Good Hi. evening. I did want to say thank you to uh, Mr. Gaffney for addressing the military question. I am a retired Air Force uh, uh, senior master sergeant, and I was a recruiter, and I still have children in the military, and I know all about General Brown, and I'm so thankful mm -hmm. to know where to go to say uh, we don't want him in. <laughs> so thank you for letting mm -hmm. us know about that. But I also noticed. Please, that please let me know how to get in touch with you. I'd love to hear more. And oh, okay. by, by the way, folks, rejectgeneralbrown.org. Frank, that's a website, isn't it? Rejectgeneralbrown.org. That's it. Yes, yeah. sir. I'm going to be calling uh, my senators on that. But I wanted to, I noticed they would work for um, Ronald Reagan, and I wanted to know um, if you got to meet him and what was your favorite memory about him? I did. I, I 
was in the Pentagon, not in the White House, uh, so I didn't see a whole lot of him in the course of my four and a half years working for him. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the thing that I think I appreciated most about him uh, was uh, the humility that he brought to the job and the fact that he actually encouraged people to underestimate him. You know, there was a line about Reagan, uh, Clark Clifford, I think, was the guy who coined it, that he was an amiable dunce. Mm. Nothing was further from the truth. Amen. Uh, what what was so impressive about Reagan, in fact, it, it really only came to light after his presidency, but um, friends of mine helped put together a series of volumes of his speeches, for example, written in his own hand. So there was no question that they were his work. Uh, and and letters that he wrote and uh, and you know radio addresses that he did for GE and the like, um, he had deeply studied the issues of his time. He had a mastery of them that people like Clark Clifford, for all of his uh, accomplishments in various roles, uh, I think didn't have, and yet. He was perfectly comfortable having people thinking that he was uh, just a guy who, you know, had a twinkle in his eye and was a movie actor and uh, uh, and could be taken advantage of, um, most especially when Soviet leaders tried to do it. And uh, his commitment to that strategy that I spoke of earlier, Valerie, in terms of uh, peace through strength and putting the evil empire on the ash heap of history. Uh, we win, they lose. I mean, those were those were the sorts of things that I think should be the policies of our time, and we deviate from them, frankly, at our extreme peril. Mm. Great question, great question, uh, Donna. But I, from I mean Texas. it. If, if I can possibly be in touch with you, Valerie, I would love to hear your insights into General Brown. We're trying to understand the man as best we can. Yeah, uh, great. Uh, and and listen, Valerie, before you hang up, if if I could get the people at HQ, uh, AJ and the crew running the show, if, if they could get your contact info, we'll get that to Frank Gaffney for sure. That would be great. So th thank you. Thank you, Valerie. We, we will do that. Uh, we're going to stay in Texas. Donna. And Donna, thank you for being a Truth and Liberty partner. Folks, you can be a Truth and Liberty partner. If you like this content, folks, if you think this is valuable, uh, we want to do what we're doing times 100. So go to truthandliberty.net slash donate, as Donna has done. Donna from Texas, thanks for partnering with us. What's your question for Frank You're welcome. Yes. Yes. Um, my question is, can America make it? And I know um, those that have their faith in God, we know we're going to make it. But I'm thinking of just the general public in America to keep them from di getting discouraged because everything sounds so bad. And it is bad, don't get me wrong, but sounds so bad that I'm afraid a lot of the Americans will just say, what's the use? We're doomed. That they won't think we can make it till the next election. It's a very important question, and, and I'm sorry if what I'm conveying seems um, to suggest that I think it's uh, a foregone conclusion that we're doomed. I don't. Uh, but that's partly because uh, I powerfully believe that with God's help, um, everything is possible. 
And mm-hmm. I pray my my only concern in that regard is that we uh, we may have given him enough reason to feel he's done with us. Um, but I I don't think that's the case. And I certainly think that if we, you know, follow his admonitions as to what we need to do to seek his grace, um, that he will be with us in our future as he has been with us in this country's past. And then, you know, this will turn out right. I mean, we know as as you do, of course, Donna, that uh, as Revelations teaches us, uh, it does come out right in the end, but uh, there is a lot of rough country between here and there, that's for sure. So mm-hmm. to the extent that we can do our part, and this is really where I, I mostly want to make sure I leave you is um, this book was written partly with the idea of raising the alarm, uh, you know, being the proverbial watchman on the wall, I guess. Um, but mm-hmm. by so doing, empowering people with 20 specific steps that they themselves, in some cases, and in other cases, working with others and certainly working with their elected representatives can do to make sure that we do survive as a country. That, that as Reagan famously said, uh, we won't spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was like to live in America when men were free mm. because we rose to our time's existential threat to freedom. We did what we needed to do to preserve it so that we could turn it over for our children to do the same. And that's those are the words that I live by and that are, you know, sort of uh, central to this book as well. There is hope. We just need to rise to the challenge and uh, seek God's grace and help in doing it. Mm. Frank, well said. Donna, that's a great question. Uh, hey, and, you know, talking about how uh, for two centuries, you know, we— America at her best, Frank, uh, you know and I know we were this global force for good. We we were the good guys, and I think to a large degree still are. But I, I want to say this, Frank, and uh, I'd love your response on this. And callers that are on hold, we will get to you, so hang tight, callers. But, um, Frank, uh, I've done a lot of uh, travel around the country, not only uh, I mean, around the world, not only uh, preaching and ministering. Uh, we we once took 400 youth to do work in the inner city of Lima, Peru, and had uh, Walmart donate nearly a million bottles of water. And we, we've done a lot of relief work, Christian missionary work. My wife, who is a nurse, has gone to the Sudan and Africa multiple times to do volunteer medical work. Now, here's my point, Frank. Whenever I'm in a third world country or a developing nation, and I come across a well or a hospital or a school, there are wells provided by Samaritan's Purse, Compassion International, the American Red Cross, Baptist Men on Mission. Frank, why is it that whenever I come across uh, infrastructure that contributes to the betterment of the human condition. I've never seen a well that was dug by American atheists. I've never come on a hospital that was provided by Americans United for the Separation of Church and State. I've never come across a school or a medical clinic uh, that was given by the ACLU or um, American secularists. It's always by patriotic, godly, principled, 
uh, Christian entities. Why, why do these wokies and secularists, why, why is their thumbprint of benevolence not found anywhere in the world? That's such a great question. I, and I, I thank you for your own ministry. And what you've done, my my wife, as it happens, is from Lima, Peru, as well. Um, oh wow! So I, I think she knows something of uh, the kind of work that you're talking about here. Look, it's about calling, isn't it? It's about yeah. you know God uh, infusing in people like you who have done that kind of service a sense that that is your duty. And I don't think people who have no God uh, or you know believe in Perhaps uh, it's antithesis, hmm. uh, you know, satanic uh, forces, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think, are um, are not called. And to yeah. the extent they're called, they're, it's much more in the nature of a wrecking operation, I think. And that's, that's my biggest criticism of the Biden uh, team, uh, Obama-Biden 3.0, if you will, is and I think I've said this to you before, Alex, every single policy I can think of that Joe Biden has promulgated, domestic and foreign, has had two things in common. One, they've been bad for America. And two, they have generally been to the benefit of the Chinese Communist Party, either directly or indirectly. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's not a godly purpose, needless to no. say. And 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 as we've talked about, I, I've profoundly convicted that this land has been blessed by God Almighty. Mm-hmm. And it certainly deserved it during a time of its founding and for so many of its formative years when an appreciation of the good Lord and his blessings was absolutely central to our, well, our politics but also yeah. our public life. Sure. And we've gotten away from that. And that's the part that I think is probably offensive to God, but um, I hope he's willing to forgive us if we, we can't and, uh, and try to redirect. Amen. Well said. Uh, Daniel in California, and Daniel also is a Truth and Liberty partner. Thank you. Daniel, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for this program, uh, Alex and Frank. This is, this is amazing. Um, you mentioned about uh, the CCP buying properties and uh, specifically food processing plants. It seems that's the target right now. And I'm wondering, can that be regulated through either state or federal legislation? How, how can we approach that to stop it? Great question. Again, uh, of course it can be regulated. Um, yeah. Here's the kicker that in addition to the Chinese buying up significant food production facilities in this country, the last count I had, some 30 of them had burned down in the last year. And Mm. two of them, I think in addition to the 30, two of them had been struck by airplanes. What are the chances of that? So I I don't know exactly what's going on here, but I can tell you that I think... um, there's an entity in the United States government. It frankly has been an enormous frustration to me since I worked in the Senate. Um, it's called the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, or CFIUS is its acronym. And these guys have got, I believe, 
ample authority to be determining whether these kinds of purchases by what is our mortal enemy, let's be clear, yeah. are consistent with the national security of the United States, um, let alone, you know, our economic viability or our our food security, for example. Uh, we, a colleague of mine, Tommy Waller, has done a beautiful study on food insecurity, uh, which is available for free at, um, again, uh, securefreedom.org. But the truth of the matter is I, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States has been just well, at best, asleep at the switch, and at worst, has been complicit uh, yeah. in some of these acquisitions that should not have been allowed to go forward. Mm. Well, and hey, while we're talking about fires at food production plants, what about train wrecks? Frank, is it me, or are there more train wrecks than than ever? You know, I, I've been asked that question before, and I simply haven't researched it. I don't know. Uh, there seem to have been a lot, and some of them have been just absolutely horrific, uh, yeah. including that one in East Palestine. Um, uh, Palestine. I, I, I just think um, whether it's we've just hit a rough patch because our infrastructure is falling apart or whether mm -hmm. there's foul play at work, I don't know. But what I do know is this, Alex. The kinds of things that have been demonstrated with these mishaps and food processing facilities burning up and any number of sure. other things are all suggestive of what could happen if somebody with malign intent were targeting them. Yeah. And especially if we've allowed 10,000, let's pick a number, of specialists in sabotage, for example, perhaps from yeah. the Chinese People's Liberation Army, to be saddled all over our country, for heaven's sakes. So right. this is the moment when um, one of our most important recommendations in this book is we need to get on a war footing. The Chinese are on one. Oh, yeah. And that really means taking stock of these kinds of vulnerabilities, not least of which, by the way, is our electric grid which I've been campaigning um, for about 20 years, has to be made more resilient. And we've done essentially nothing. And in fact, just this coming week, the regulators, this question from uh, Daniel was about regulation, the regulators for our electric grid, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and something called the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, the latter being basically an electric industry owned and operated entity that more or less controls the regulation of the industry, if you can believe it. They're supposed to have a meeting, a technical study group, I think it's called, sure. on Thursday of this week in Atlanta to talk about coming up with some new uh, arrangements to try to enhance the physical security of grid assets transformer mm -hmm. substations and power lines and so on, which, as you may know, have, have been shot up in a number of instances in just the past year. Yeah. And as things stand now, get this, Alex, Daniel, it seems as though those regulators are going to look the other way and say, there's nothing to see here, folks. Nothing needs to be done. Not a worry. That's criminally malfeasant, in my judgment. Mm -hmm. And it should be something that we hold them accountable, just as we should CFIUS, for that matter. Uh, and the FDA, you, may I say, as well. <laughs> uh, well it, disease indeed. control, I could go on and on. 
you know, th this might sound like an unusual question, but um, Frank, I, I just want to applaud you before time fleets away. I just want to say thank you. Thank you. You, you are and I don't use this term lightly, I use it with all sincerity, I believe you are a great American. And thank you for giving your skills, your, your intellect, and your influence to the cause of patriotism. I sincerely thank you. So here's a question that I, I just want to ask. Compare and contrast Reagan and Trump. Um, the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, anything and everything as you see it. Um, uh, what are the what are the similarities? What are the differences between those two leaders, Trump and Reagan? I can't say that I'm completely impartial on this, having had the privilege of working for Ronald Reagan and uh, sure. only having met Donald Trump on a single occasion. Um, mm. I think uh, there are some similarities. I think they both love this country profoundly. Yeah. I think they both dedicated themselves to lives of public service uh, when they didn't have to. They were yeah. successful men. Their lives sure. were full of accomplishment without it, but they felt called to try to help their country at critical moments in both cases. That's another similarity. I think they both recognized the trajectory the country was on under Jimmy Carter, I mean, it kind of looks like the good old days compared to where we are at the moment, honestly, but it, sure. it was in a downward uh, spiral, I'm afraid. But uh, that was even more true of uh, what was left after Barack Obama's first two terms and the prospect of Hillary Clinton. God help us. Huh. Yes. That said, there there were significant differences, and I, I I take nothing away from Donald Trump. I I think he's uh, quite a formidable man, and and certainly as we've been discussing on China, he was pretty clear eyed about that problem. Uh, I have not seen the clip of Oprah. I'm going to go dig it up, but uh, mm -hmm. that's an example of how, you know, long ago he recognized that we were facing the kind of thing Reagan described as our generation's existential threat to freedom. But that said, I think Donald Trump came to office mostly not very well prepared for the job of governing. Reagan had the advantage of having served, as I recall, two terms as governor of our largest state. That's and true. That's a that's an opportunity to you know hone managerial skills and develop a cadre of uh, staff in whom you had confidence. You know and and. Trump more or less parachuted into the job without any of that experience. I mean, he he ran big organizations, but basically from a very small office with a lot of contractors. And that's not quite the same thing. And certainly he did not come to office with the thousands of people that he'd worked with over the years uh, who were ready and skilled and qualified to take over key jobs in the government. So those are those are important differences. And I think they bear in part on how their presidencies will be regarded, uh, mm -hmm. at least uh, Donald Trump's first term, if there's another one. But my my bigger thing I just wanted to say, and this is not because you've showered me with many kindnesses, Alex, but I, I do want to just say especially to those listening who are not currently partners of mm -hmm. this show. I, I've done probably thousands of interviews over mm -hmm. the past 40 years or so, including a lot that I've run myself. And you've been a guest on my show, and we'll have to have you back on it, as a matter of fact. But um, there's something very special about a long-form interview 
and especially with your, you know, very, um, I think, compelling style as an interviewer, as well as the obviously very high quality audience that you uh, appeal to. And I, I just wanted to say thank you for making this platform available, not just to me, but, uh, but I think to our country at a mm. time such as this. It's truly indispensable, and uh, I thank you for doing it, and especially for allowing me this privilege to be with you. Well, well, thank you for doing it. You know, like you said, long-form interview. Uh, I want to give credit. Uh, Andrew Womack had the vision for this, and he's one of the hosts. But one of my heroes was William F. Buckley. And I used, mm. when I was a little kid, I would watch Firing Line. And uh, I miss those kind of shows. You know, Firing Line, he had time to do a deep dive with guest yes. and William F. Buckley. I want to encourage people to go to YouTube and watch those old episodes of Firing Line. And um, he was a, a friend and a colleague of yours. You knew him, didn't you? I did, not not intimately, but um, uh, we had a mutual admiration society. I'm, I'm being immodest in saying that, but uh, he, I've got I've got in my office a little note that he sent to one of my colleagues after I left the Pentagon at the end of my time with Reagan. And he said, uh, I wept shamelessly upon learning of Frank Afney's departure. <laughs> uh, wow. it, was, it was, as is always true of him, it was tongue in cheek, but it was uh, it was very touching. And one of my fond memories of uh, a really remarkable intellect and, uh, and human being. Sure. Were, were you ever on firing line? No, I never was. Uh, I don't think we did any television programs. My interactions with him were all off air that I can sure. recall. Well, Frank, we're just about out of time. A sincere thank you. You're very gracious with your time. Thank you this evening. And uh, securefreedom.org, folks, uh, rejectgeneralbrown.org. Frank, uh, you're, you're a treasure, and I appreciate it thank so you. much, my friend. I look forward to talking with you on my show soon. Thank you, Alex. Folks, you can watch the show again and share it with others. Go to truthandliberty.net. May God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.